Truthiology. Talking about deep ecumenism. My name is Caroline Jane Miller. Awesome. Welcome to the podcast. And do you know who is with us tonight? Rabbi Stephen. Um, Booth Nadav. Booth Nadav. And... Have you met Steve before? Yes. We're, you guys go way back, right? Tell us about that experience. Um, first, I went to a Passover and he preached there. And then I went on a hike with him. Was it a special kind of nature hike? Uh-huh. Do you remember something about that hike special? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. All right, did you... She was going to quote some Heschel for everybody. <laughs> Do you want to ask him your question? What is ecumenism? Give her a quick answer. Well... So I've got this book here. Can you read the title? Four words. Um, one river, many wells. Perfect. Good job. Quick definition of deep acumen. One river, you might call spirit, and there are many wells that access it, and you might call those religions. Pretty cool, huh? Mm-hmm. All right. Any other big questions at the moment? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to the Brew Theology Podcast. This is Janelle, and I'm here with Ryan, Joshua, and Rabbi Steve, and we're going to talk about deep ecumenism tonight. And you will have heard our intro intro by Caroline. She's awesome. And we were just talking about keep an eye, ear open. I guess an ear open would work better for this um, about doing a kid's podcast. So we told her she could talk to her dad and figure out some topics, maybe bring her friends on and we'll have a little spiritual chat with some kids. Sounds like fun. Um, next up for us in the future is uh, the Wild Goose Festival in July in Hot Springs, North Carolina. And if you don't know about Wild Goose, it is a fun progressive Christian festival uh, with hundreds of different activities and speakers and things that you can do while you're there. Um, we will be demoing and we'll have a tent there. So if you're there, come and say hi to us. And um, we are looking forward. Barbara Brown Taylor is one of the people that'll be speaking this year on her new book, Holy Envy. Tony which, Campolo's there too. Yeah. Shane Claiborne. Who else? All kinds of people. Yeah. Um, last year we had Nadia Boltzweber and Jen Hatmaker. So you will hear all kinds of voices at Wild Goose. And if you want to start hearing those voices now, you can find them on the Wild Goose podcast. Um, they have been doing some episodes lately, so hopefully you can tune into that and kind of get a preview on what's coming up. Um, so tonight, we're going to talk about deep ecumenism. And so this is a kind of a, a 
a next level thing. If you love brew theology and what we do, sitting at the table, talking, discussing, and figuring out ways to bring this with you into the world, deep ecumenism is the next step. The experience of what it means to share traditions with other people. So we're going to talk with Rabbi Stephen Booth Nadav about this. This is um, part of his job is working as a chaplain. So you do this in everyday life. And then he works on the broader Denver Multi-Faith Leadership Forum um, and helps lead that and does the work here in Denver. So we're excited to have you with us tonight. Thank you, Janelle. And you also do what we, what we were asking Caroline about. You do nature talks that are integrated with faith. Is that right? Nature walks. Walks. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> That's one of the places where Caroline and I met, which mm-hmm. I, maybe she said before. Yeah, I, was, uh, I had the great privilege to be trained as a Jewish wilderness spirituality guide. Um, awesome. Very but cool. what better place to find the spirit that connects us all than in nature? Yeah. Of course, to put you on the spot, anything you want to say for Earth Day, just for a moment? Something like, what does Earth Day make you think of, or how do you value our planet, and why it's important to take care of it? Is this going to be a separate podcast, right, starting now? (laughs) I was just going to, if there's something that you've been saying all day to everybody, you're welcome to say it here, too. I wish I had. I started the day with, uh, there was a great quote on the New York Times feed this morning that, if I'd known, I would have brought it with me, but... um, Hmm. I don't know what the point is of all this religious stuff if we don't have an earth. The, the, when we talk about spirit um, incarnate on this planet, what makes us think that we somehow are higher than, than, than the creation itself? So yeah. um, we're at a really critical time right now. Um, uh, our children are, I, I don't see how our children are not going to be affected um, yeah. by what's going on with climate change at the moment. Um, so I think it's a very deep spiritual calling right now to uh, be in touch with it and and uh, figure out what are we called to do to protect God's earth. Yeah. Amen to all of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you came and visited us a few weeks ago, came to Brew Theology here in Denver and talked to our group. And so we'll just start out with the basics. And why, why don't you define for us deep ecumenism? What does it mean? And how does this move us beyond like just interfaith and multi-faith discussion? And I take, now I, I take it now that I'm not talking to Caroline, I can give a little longer yep. answers. <laughs> <laughs> um. Because I don't think you start, nobody really starts with deep ecumenism. Um, We all being human beings uh, uh, from different cultures and in different times and different places, I think we start in different faith traditions um, or a a non-faith tradition like atheism, um, which, by the way, the God that atheists don't believe in is probably the same God that I don't believe in. Um, So Mm -hmm. it's not really that different to me. Um, and all the earth-based traditions that are still alive um, and that you can find traces of in our modern Western traditions. So um, so how do I get, how I got to deep ecumenism, um, um, my path to it um, that I think is kind of typical is, first of all, I had to find a path 
to to my own to a faith tradition that worked for me. Um, I was born Jewish. I kind of left for a while um, in a searching stage in my teens and maybe early twenties, um, and then came back and um, and I was able to go into the deep well of of Judaism in order to find my connection to God and spirit um, and to all life there. Um, and I would say also to what God wants of us, um, which is fra- actually sometimes I think more important, like more important than what you believe about God sometimes. Is, I think it's more important that you understand what God wants of you and you're working on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got through all, to all that through Judaism, and I needed to really immerse myself in that. So for years, I lived in, in, in you know, I went to rabbinical school. I, I lived in a very Jewish neighborhood. I went to three different uh, Jewish communities for prayer services and holidays. I went to Israel. Um, I became a rabbi, and I worked in Jewish communities. Um, and then at a certain point, I remembered that um, I— wait a minute, do I think that this is the only path to truth, the only path to God, the only path to enlightenment, that I don't have anything to learn from anybody else? That seemed wrong. So then I start reconnecting with people from other faith traditions. And one of the things that Matthew Fox talks about that, you know, and I'll probably quote him a few times, but he says that that, that religion is about relationships. Um, so I started getting more connected to people from other faith traditions. Um, and um, actually, I made, made friends with a family that I'm still close to that were at the time, um, very. they were um, founders of the Abrahamic Initiative here in Denver, which at the time was housed at St. John's Cathedral. It's still connected there, but not quite the same. And um, anyway, so we started, and we would go to church with them um, at St. John's for the major holidays. And... Um, I started getting involved in interfaith dialogue. Um, and it was interesting because I would have to, people would say, I would learn things and I would have to go, oh, do I, do I believe that? Do, if I don't believe that, why? And what's different about that? And so on. And so I started learning about other faith traditions and learning about where I feel a connection and where I don't. Um, and building friendships, which especially when you're a minority, you always feel a little unsafe. And so when you build friendships with people who are different than you, you start to feel a little safer in the world. So quite honestly, I was feeling safer in the world by doing that. Um, And that's all good. Um, But then through my proddings from my teacher, Rabbi Zalman Shakhtar Shalomi, who really popularized the term deep ecumenism, um, he and Matthew Fox sort of coined the term, but... um, uh, Zalman really ran with it. And he's talking, and he, actually, I was at Iliff School of Theology. There was a big Sufi event that was being hosted at Iliff, and uh, I, I went to it, and Reb Zalman was there. I had no idea he was going to be there. Um, and we were just participants. We were not, he was not one of the, you know, on the stage or anything. And then the, it comes time to they're going to do some of their prayers. And Zalman says to me, come with me and I'll show you what they're about to do. 
And he knew exactly what they were about to do because he had dived deeply into Sufism and understood the prayers that they were about to do. And so here, here's this mentor of mine telling the rabbi to come pray a Sufi prayer. And it's kind of like, almost kind of broke me apart. It's like, oh my God, we can do this? Um, so that was the beginning of, there's obviously more I can, I'll talk about this, but... Um, so what is deep ecumenism? That was your original question. Um, and I really like, um, there's several books. The, actually, two of these books here are, are my favorite books because of their titles, <laughs> as much as what's in them. Um, but Matthew Fox's book, One River, Many Wells. Um, imagine, instead of seeing religion as somehow the ultimate, um, seeing religion as a pathway to, and it's just a pathway and there's many pathways. So what if we define spirit as the river? And there are many, it's an underground river, and that's, an, that's also a good Earth Day connection, but yeah. notice the river's not running on the surface. The, the river's underground. Um, and so there are many different wells that give you access to that. And the wells are different. They're different sizes. They're different, you know, some have a bucket that drops down, and, and I don't know, they have different mechanisms for br bringing spirit up to the surface. Um, so deep ecumenism is about understanding that um, my well is, is sort of my reality map, and I need that, and we'll talk more about that. Um, but I actually might learn something by learning something about your reality map and how do you access spirit. Because um, because my reality map is just a map. <laughs> it's not the goal. Um, and maybe I'll actually learn more about the goal by comparing different maps. So deep ecumenism is about more than just dialogue and learning about each other and becoming safer, though I think all those things are very important to do. Deep ecumenism is about then opening yourself to the possibility of finding God, finding spirit in other faith traditions. I think a huge um, thing that I experienced at the parliament, which we were both at in November, was when you talk about the river and the water and Earth Day, was being with the indigenous people that were there and listening to them tell their stories and talk about the earth and their care of the earth, and especially the women talk about the role that they have in caring for Mother Earth and that they are the water keepers. And I just, in my ignorance, I had never heard these things before, but it, I don't know, it like, it kind of broke something open in me in that same way of like, wait a minute, like this, this Mother Earth terminology is not just story. There's something here that's deeply spiritual. And if we're going to be good faith practitioners, we've got to be connected to this planet that we're on. And I still, it's been four or five months, I still haven't figured out what that all looks like for me, but I, I also can't get rid of it. It's, it's ever present that, you know, when are you going to learn more about this? When are you going to start digging into this? Because that keeping the waters, which is what we're not doing as humans on this planet, is killing us. And so how do we come back to a space where we start to understand that these stories that are witnessed all around the world by different indigenous groups and are similar, 
that should tell us there's something powerful there and that it needs to be nurtured and, and listened to. And so I think maybe that's one piece of this whole journey is if you find something that captures your attention, pay attention and work on that and let that be a new pathway for you into this. Um, because I know it's challenged me even to start finding, oh, wait, there are eco-feminist theologians that have been doing this work for 50 years. Maybe I should read some of them <laughs> and get to know what they're seeing because it doesn't mean I have to leave what I know to learn more. I, I can integrate this into right. what I already do. And that, that, that is such a freeing thing that these you can integrate things into what you already have. You don't have to let go. Right. So, that, so Jenna, I'm so glad you you de, you described that. So, my picture is, you you didn't leave who you are or your belief system. You sat and made yourself a witness. In Hebrew, we call it an aid, a witness, um, um, to another earth-based tradition, and you opened yourself to that deeper wisdom. Yeah. And I'm sure that there were aspects that, like, certainly ritually and otherwise, that wouldn't quite work for you. They would just be too foreign for you. But there was a deeper truth that you heard. Yeah. And that you might not have heard in any other way. You might have not have heard that um, coming from your own tradition in, this, in, in as deep of a way. So my picture is, is that you opened yourself and you, you, you literally could hear that underground stream. Yeah, I think and you so. could hear people who were who were connected to it, and that's that's what this is about. So when I say that, can you find faith in other traditions? I don't mean like go become you know, you know, don't go play like you're some other tradition this weekend, right? <laughs> but but um, but can you listen deeply? Can you witness deeply so that you can hear? and feel or experience that well. And yeah. I'm not sure, maybe we'll talk about this some more, but it's like you were mentioning about the, you know, the situation of water and our earth today. And, and the women were talking about being the water carriers. Um, there was this, that whole ritual that they did around that. And I'm just wondering about what's the connection between the deep river of spirit that's way underground and the waters on our earth? Can we can we can we maintain a connection to the waters on our earth um, without a connection to the deeper water no. of spirit that runs underneath it? I don't think so. We, I mean, for Christian tradition, we have baptism, which is in most traditions essential. I know that in forms of Judaism, purity type things are water based right. and are essential. Christians still from mikvah. Yeah. Just going to say it. <laughs> I mean, so I think that, like, even just if you look at sacrament or um, ritual, you, you're going to find water-based interactions. And that's just like a surface connection of, like, exactly. we kind of have to have water to do some of these things. Um, but then also, then, I mean, that just opens this door of, like, so how do we steward the water right. and care for it and... Well, and it's just a metaphor, this this deep river thing. Right. Um, but um, but what if there's a real connection between this deep river of spirit that 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 runs yeah. underground through all of life that we're all connected to, 
and the actual water that we need to live on on top of the planet. I like the metaphor, and I know that all analogies will break down at some point, but I, I am curious if we could make a distinction as we begin to unpack it. And I want I want us to go back to the one river, many wells, but could you compare contrast with all the statements that we've heard probably around this table and then some about people talk about God as, well, there's just many paths up the mountain. Okay? So truth is experienced in these different ways, but ultimately we're all going to get to the same mountain peak. And I've, I've heard people applaud that, and I've heard people tear that down. How is this different from that? And can you, can you make any distinction, compare, contrast based on those two analogies as we continue down the actual river and well path? That's interesting. I mean, I just notice on the surface of what you're saying, you're saying, can I compare and contrast an image of, of a mountain and climbing up versus their image of a river that's, that's underground. So what is the difference between something that you've got to climb up to versus something that runs under the earth? Um, well, you went through a whole bunch when you <laughs> met with us. Um, you, we used the songs and music, um, the way that light plays in spaces um, the body organs, which is, is Rev Zalman, right? Um, the tree going down, the roots going down, and then pearls on a string. So like we had all, and all of those are very different than climbing up a mountain. But I, I think when, when people hear this, they, they may actually, though, they may just, they may jump to that analogy of the mountain. Right. So that's why I think if we could just make right. that, if we could break that down a bit so people aren't, well, maybe it's the same. I could be wrong. I mean, but I think I think there is a distinction. I, I agree. I think there is a distinction. I, I honestly hadn't thought about that. <laughs> so that's a great one to bring up. Um, and so I want to sort of, I don't know, the Jewish thing would be to answer your question with another question. <laughs> Go for it. We all have mics. <laughs> What's the difference between an underground stream that has many wells to access it versus a mountaintop that there are many paths to get to it. So the first thing that comes to my head is a destination. So with a mountain, there's a top. There's a point that you're striving towards. So, but with the river analogy, I, I don't see an ending to it. Or I don't think if there is, that's not a part of the analogy like it's not supposed to be focused on it's a more about the the movement and the journey when the amount the mountain analogy kind of makes your mind go to the top and how do you get to that certain point and really when we're trying with deep ecumenism when you talk about trying to reach the river you're talking about trying to reach that that movement that connects us all yeah i like that i think i think the, the mountain and I think they're they're both fine. Um, there's almost every tradition has somewhere, usually with the mystics, but somewhere <clears throat> where they start to talk about there's one truth. There's just one truth. There's many ways to get there, but there's one truth. So yeah, so there's one mountain top, and that we can find different ways to get there. But it's kind of static. The river analogy says that there's one truth, it's the river, but it's not static. It's constantly changing, it's evolving, it's moving onward. Um, and so the, 
you know, is the river that I touch through my well the same as the one that you touch through your well, which is either up or downstream, yeah. whatever, however you want to look at it, you know? And it's like, well, yes and no, but not, not, not really. So I think deep ecumenism, maybe, you know, we're playing very metaphorical here, but maybe deep ecumenism allows us to have a more fluid and flowing and changing image of spirit and spirits not frozen into one thing. I, I liked that. And Josh, I think that was a, a great kind of, if you were going to make a distinction then you, you nailed it right there. So then truth in all, in all major religious traditions are basically uh, certain and exclusive. And so you basically say all, all religions are bad and they're not truthful except for my own. And we, and we're trying to move past that, if you will. I mean, I think that's what we're trying to get at. So then going to the theology part, God, if, if, if God or eternal consciousness or light or spirit, whatever word you want to use, is this river, and agnostic atheist people may have to use some other word. I mean, there's assuming that there's something there, right, that we're tapping into. Is that truth, if you will, is God then changing, evolving, according to context and people's needs and desires and wants and what's happening in the world today versus 2,000 years ago and 2,000 years forward? Or just meeting people where they're at? Is, is God, or whatever word you want to use, is God changing? Is God evolving? Or is God simply just meeting humans where they need to be met in that time and space, regardless of their religious affiliations? If, if God is the river, I don't know, maybe God's not the river. Well, that's, a, you know, that's another thing is that, is that you could, you know, sometimes when I'm doing these, these panels with faith leaders, we just had one last week. Um, and even, even faith leaders from like the major Western traditions will occasionally say that they're a little jealous of like Buddhism and, and, and other religions that just don't deal with God. Cause it's, it's, it's a, <laughs> um, and so sp- the river is usually talked about as spirit. And I think a lot of us use that terminology in order to get away from this, this kind of rigidified image of God. Um, that God, you know, and for most of us, it's pretty hard to get rid of this idea that we were grown up with that, you know, God is a man on a throne. You know, so spirit allows us to get away from that. So you're saying, so does God change? Or is God accommodating like a gentleman should be? (laughs) Well, it's said that there are 72 names for God in Jewish tradition. The, The perhaps the most central name for God, the Tetragrammaton, the yud heh vav heh is comes from the word for being. So God is God is not a being, God is being. God is beingness. <laughs> so um does being change? I don't I don't know. I don't think so. I think what changes is us. I, what changes is our perspectives is is I mean we're changing all the time. Um, and being surrounds that and yes. comes above it and below it and beside it and in front of it. And 
it's always there. And so I think even to talk about it as changing sounds like the wrong question because it's always present as exactly within everything that we do. Exactly. So I think it's, it's inaccurate to think, I mean, I don't like to make statements like God doesn't change. <laughs> um, um, I could, but I don't, I don't, I don't like doing that. Um, but yeah, I think that, that more important is God, that, that spirit God is there's a source of life that runs through all of creation. You don't have to believe in God to, to believe in that. Um, and that's what we're trying to connect to. And so since humans change, I mean, just look, just look at the Bible and all of the ideas in the Bible that make no sense to us. You know, that you would never, you would, you know, you would never have put that in there. Kill the guy who collects manna on, on the Sabbath? I mean, come on. <laughs> um, so what did that mean then? What would it mean now? So we've changed. You know, the whole sacrificial system, it's like, you know, in, in Exodus and Leviticus, it's like, it meant something then. We need to, it, it's important for us to understand what it meant then, and then to make it relevant, we have to understand what it means for us now. So it's changing. Um, the opening of the Torah, Breshit, Bara Elohim, Eta Shemaim, Eta Aretz. Oh, actually, that's the whole line's good. Um, but Breshit means it gets translated a lot as in the beginning, but. The accurate, more accurate Hebrew is just, it's in a beginning. There's no definite article. So it's in a beginning. A lot of, you know, the, the present tense in Hebrew is actually continuous. Um, so um, it's an ongoing process. We are still in the process of creation as we're going. And interestingly, that opening line says, so in a beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. created the heavens and the earth. So in this particular beginning, our planet or our universe as we know it, it's describing the beginning of our planet, of our, of our universe. Well, and I think it, in some ways that answers the earlier question of are these tied together? Because it was heaven and earth right. that were created together. Right, and then later it says, um, uh, see, I... I I call as witnesses concerning you today, heaven and earth. Choose life so that you can live. So heaven and earth are deeply in there. I mean, that's the other thing that kind of bothers me sometimes is that we think that our Western traditions are very divorced from the earth. And in some ways they are. Um, but that wasn't where they came from. They came from a very deeply earth-based connection and you see it in the psalms and the prayers you see it everywhere i just have a quick question and i could be totally off because it's been a long time since i've taken hebrew so the word for heaven in hebrew is what shamaim and that's related to <laughs> maim is there a connection there that, maim maim, is so maim is water, water living waters right yeah is that is there a connection between heaven and the waters the waters above yes so that's Mystically, this is kind of cool. I mean, we're always talking about pictures and analogies, but I think as Western Christians have often been brought up and raised without any kind of Hebrew knowledge, is that heaven is really just a separate place that's up. 
and earth is a separate place that's down, um, and not really connecting those two. So the, we often talk about the kingdom of heaven in our tradition. Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom of heaven in all the gospels, mostly the synoptics. But then the word heaven is also not synonymous, but very connected to God. So you can use those interchangeably. So I, then I'm curious again. I know I know you, you know we're talking about God as a being versus God as being and trying to figure out my question here. If you have waters and heaven and God and being, how how does this affect someone's theology if they can somehow integrate these together versus always separating them in their own exclusive contexts and in worlds? Because we like to put things in boxes. Um, and it's a loaded question, but... Um, so you're wanting to integrate them. I would love to, and maybe I'm off. Maybe, maybe we shouldn't. But I think maybe if, if there's Christian listeners or people who left the Christian faith, and that's what they've been taught, I would just love a little bit more context from a rabbinical perspective, dealing with the actual Hebrew about waters and heaven and God and, and so forth. And then and what Christians often talk about, the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. Yeah, I get, I get nervous anytime we start equating things like heaven and God. <laughs> I mean, again, I think that's a human projection. I think that's humans saying we need, you know, and it's usually a white male up there image um, that's controlling, that's punishing, that sees all, you know, and, and I think that's very problematic and very, I mean, maybe that's why the mystics had to happen because the mystics needed to get us away from that stuff. Um, so um, it also says in, in um, I'm pretty sure it's Deuteronomy, ain't owed milvado, there's nothing but God. There is nothing but God. It's all God. Shema Yisrael, that your daughter says, um, the, the Shema says, says Adonai God Echad, God is one. And, and, and in, in what I call pediatric Judaism, <laughs> that's translated as there's just one God. It's the ultimate monotheistic statement of Judaism. You know, it's like that's what we were all fed growing up. We were too, <laughs> yeah. but we did a lot of gymnastics with that. But, but I connect the word echad with achdut, which means oneness. So to me, it's when I say Adonai echad, what I'm saying is it's all God. Remember Israel, it's all God. It's all God. It's interesting because I'm doing... Um, I'm doing some work in a couple of different areas, actually, right now. One, I'm just listening to Pema Chodron talking, and, I'm, and in another, I'm working with Parker Palmer's uh, work through a project that he's got called Soul of Aging. Um, and um, in both of them, there's talk about the reality that life, just to go to one little thing here, life includes pain. We might have been taught that if you live the right I think we were all taught either directly or indirectly that if you live the right kind of life, you do the right kind of things, you follow the rules, life is just an upward trend, you know, and there's no pain, you know, and it's like, and then, then we all find out that's not true. But what if God's spirit is in the pain? What if... And this exercise that we just did um, earlier today with the Parker Palmer stuff was, um, 
So let's say somebody does something really horrendous to you, or betrays you, and 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 it has major effects. Maybe you lose your job, you know, whatever. Um, at some point, can you say thank you and learn something from what happened? Even though what happened on the surface and was unfair and unkind and, and you didn't deserve that, but at some point, everything that happens, there's a lesson for us. So if it's all God, it's all God. So I, I worry about putting God up anywhere, um, and I worry about separating creation too much. I, uh, <clears throat> I really, I'm, I'm a big metaphor analogy type guy, so this, this speaks to me very well. And when we were talking about the mountain, and um, I really did see the difference between a static God and a moving God. And I don't like the word change because, at least in our language, it, that word elicits this idea of something that can't have like a grounding. And I don't think that that's accurate for this specific topic because when I think of God, I do think of change, but I don't think of it lacking grounding. And so, when when I'm seeing when I'm hearing you, so change is part of life. Yeah, exactly. That it's. It's an aspect that is grounded in the life that we live. And um, I really like to, th- to think of God, at least now, in a way of um, looking to my left, like looking over my shoulder and, and, and seeing God there, or looking down and seeing God there. And, and growing up in the tradition that I grew up in, it was very much reaching outside of myself to a God out there and begging for help. It was praying outside of myself to and receive outside help. Of Earth. Exactly, yeah. Outside of this context, this this reality that I'm living, mm-hmm. and 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 begging that something comes and breaks in and changes my circumstance. Yeah. And the, the the problem and the reason why I had to leave my Christian faith and is because I couldn't relate to that type of um, God or spirit anymore. And, and, and this deep ecumenism really speaks to me because it's, it's a, a different way of approaching the spirit, a different way of approaching what connects us all. And instead of reaching out, it's just stopping and being still and letting your roots go down and feeling what's already there, you know? And, and that, that to me is like a fundamental shift when you can think of God as moving and not static, then that's a fundamental shift in how you can relate to God, regardless of where you come from, you know, and also how we can relate to each other. Just want to add that when you said that I couldn't relate to that God, um, what I, what I hear is that you're another way I might put that spiritually is that your soul was being wounded by that paradigm. Your soul needed a connection that it couldn't get that way. Your soul knew something's wrong here, and you had to figure out another way to access it. Absolutely. I'd say that that's exactly what it was. And and it wasn't until I allowed... It's like your your soul knew something. Yeah. It wasn't just like your soul couldn't relate. Your soul Mm -hmm. actually knew something. Yeah. And yeah. It wasn't it wasn't coming together in that way. Yeah. 
And, you know, it was really a shift for me from thinking that I was born bad and, and taking that thought away is that I actually this this body, this life that I've been given is a gift and it's beautiful. And see, instead of seeing it as like, man, I'm I'm screwed. Something I'm, you have to fix. <laughs> yeah. I'm this thing that I was born right. like broken and I need to fix it. And that, that was a big thing for me is to to listen to my soul and to listen to that. The thing within me that was saying, this is something's not right. And actually trusting myself for the first time. Because I was taught in my, I mean, I'm sure y'all can agree to this. We were taught in our tradition to not trust ourselves. Right. Like there's, there's, there's verses that. Lean not on your own understanding. Yeah, <laughs> that the, that, you know, the, the soul of. Like I bet Jesus didn't say that. Yeah. Right. He did not. <laughs> specifically, but he right. was, but you know, it, it's in the Bible, so he knew it. So, like, the image that came to me, and I was making even more sense as you talk about this, as we talked about the mountain, was that it felt very individual. The climb up the mountain is very individual and it's very hard work. And especially in my tradition, where the goal was holiness, sanctification, purity, I've got to keep climbing as I purify until I can get to that one spot in my life where I'm holy and pure. And, and then, then real things can happen. Whereas with the river, the image that came to mind is like, you're inviting us to just like sit down on the bank and put our feet in the water. And all I have to do is show up. And I did that last year at Wild Goose while my friend was playing with her kids and I sat on the riverbank and put my feet in the water, and and it was right there. And that is two totally different kinds of religion. So it's interesting. Um, so deep ecumenism says that I can access spirit by going through the path, the well of, of my tradition. Um, but actually, and I can get, I, and I can... That actually, it's adequate. It is adequate. It's, it's not saying that's not adequate. It's totally adequate. I can access spirit and, and have it change my life in all the ways that I need. I can understand and access spirit even more if occasionally I step out and I go sit in those other places or I go test the water in somebody else's well. Um, and it gives me... now. So here's the question as well, then why don't you just jump from well to well? And it's like, no, because if you don't go fully into one, um, you don't really have, it's, you, don't, you don't have it. You just don't have it. You're, you, you, know, you could go to the Parliament of World Religions and sit in on 15 different religions yep. describing spirit, and you could be moved by all of them, and you'll go home and you'll have this memory of having been moved by them. But if you've got nowhere to go access that on your own, that, that, actually, that you've actually done that work and created those pathways for yourself, then I think you might be kind of disappointed because you'll have, you'll have gotten, you'll, you'll, have heard, you'll have heard that spirit, but, but, then, but then it's gone. You collected a bunch of maps. You went right. to all the tables, right. and you collected a map off each one. Yeah, so but what? you don't have a map that you're oriented to and that you can compare it to. So the way I think, I mean, like, I wouldn't, 
in tasting all the water, I want to put it into categories. I need to tie it to things I'm familiar to or that are different than me to help it make sense. Right. And so if I don't have a map of any kind that I can compare things to, those experiences are great, but but they're not tied to anything. They're just like watching 15 movies. And right. it, it's, it's great, but it, it's not... It isn't necessarily something that's going to change me in the way that if I have a tradition and practices and sacraments that I know, and then I can say, oh, well, the Buddhists are doing this thing with prayer beads that the Catholics have been doing, that the Anglicans are doing, um, that, then, then that's a shared tradition. It's And mine looks different, but I've felt those beads in my fingers, and I know what that's like. And so I think that's where having your own map helps with that.